This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. I somehow always uh, remember standing at takeout one time, and we just had this extraordinary trip. And I remember watching this. He was a much older guy. He was in his late 20s, (laughs) and he was a young, very successful doctor who lived in San Francisco. And I remember... Without any words, I watched him hesitating, getting in his bright new red Porsche to go back to his mansion. And I could just feel that he knew all the money he had. He couldn't buy what we had. And we were living in a pair of cutoffs and tennis shoes and barely needed that. And I could just feel he had just experienced something that he knew he couldn't buy. I got to experience living in a different paradigm where we live in connecting with everyone in our boat. We get to help everyone push their skills, learning to connect with this magical place, connecting with the river, learning to dance with the flow, not struggling and fighting. And so to me, it opened up, again, doors of perception about holistically living in a different way. Today's episode comes to you from our contributing host, Samara Rosen, This story is about river guides in the 1970s fighting to keep the Stanislaus River in California from being drowned out by a dam, with one guide even chaining himself to a rock. This effort became the catalyst that prevented numerous dams from clogging California rivers. Please welcome River Radius contributing host, Samara Rosen. This episode comes to you from a philosophy of river conservation. In 2014, I went through a week-long guide school with a rafting company in California called All Outdoors. In this guide school, the owner of the company, Scott Armstrong, taught our cohort about the history of the Stanislaus River and the guide's decade-long effort to protect the river. Guides who, in several cases, were so in love with the river that they risked their lives to save it. How could knowing a river provoke someone to want to die for it? The Stanislaus River is a river in north-central California. It originates in the Sierra Nevadas, flows into the San Joaquin, and ultimately to the ocean. In the 70s, the Stanislaus contained the most popular rafting run in California, known as Camp 9. In the 1960s, a dam called New Melones was approved directly downstream of Camp 9. In the 1980s, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers closed the gates of New Melones and ultimately drowned Camp 9 under hundreds of feet of reservoir. In 2015, the reservoir was low enough from the ongoing drought that I had the opportunity to see the Stanislaus for the first time. I remember driving down Camp 9 Road, and rafting the nine miles to the takeout at Parrott's Ferry. Parrott's Ferry is an important landmark that you should know resides at elevation 808 above sea level. I still vividly remember the trees. When the reservoir was filled, the trees weren't cut, and said they were preserved in the low oxygen depths of the reservoir for decades. I remember the chalky white trunks coming up out of the water and stretching these dead limbs towards the sunshine, and it was eerily silent, like a forest of death. This is an episode on the battle to protect the Stanislaus from New Melones Dam, what happened, what was lost, and how the philosophy of river conservation continues on today. This episode has a companion episode on three complementary methodologies that inspire value of and protection of rivers through river running experiences. You don't need one episode to understand the other. They complement each other. To tell the story of the Stanislaus, I've pulled in two incredible organizers to bring us into the world of the Stanislaus and then into the world of organizing river guides. Our first speaker will introduce himself by name. Marc Dubois fell in love with the river when I was um, younger, much younger, and uh, it transformed my life. So I'm interested in asking you a bit about a river that you have an incredibly special connection to. Would you introduce us? to the Stanislaus River? Well, it's the river that uh, transformed my life and set me on my life's trajectory. And for a long while, it was the second most popular river in the country, um, second only to the Yakagani in Pennsylvania. And um, yet the difference was the Stanislaus and the Yak people just cranked down and they can run it two or three times a day and the nine miles of the Stanislaus went through the only major limestone canyon on the west coast. All Nearly all river trips were two-day river trips, had big, beautiful sandy beaches, these stunning cliffs rising above you, 
I first went to the canyon looking for the caves because I got interested in caving. And so I hiked the upper canyon looking for the caves. And eventually my brother with high school friends was running the river down below and slowly fell in love with this amazing place. The first impression was, "Why these are hot, dry foothills. And I had been used to camping in the high, higher elevations. So it was like, oh my gosh, well, good thing there's caves here because this is hot and dry. And, and slowly, little did I know that I'd completely fall in love with this amazing land that plants learn how to survive a, a four to a six months drought where no rain comes. So perfect for river running if you don't want to be in the rain. Yeah, the place just more and more and taught me, connected me with um, the sacredness of land long before, I, and I'm only recently coming up with language for that. It's, it, it taught me things that all the language I inherited didn't even come close to describing. You used a couple of um, landmarks. I'm wondering if you can give us a geographic background. Yeah, it's uh, the river that flows just north of the Tuolumne. The Tuolumne is one of the rivers that drains uh, Yosemite, and it was one of the major tributaries for the San Joaquin. So Sacramento River drains northern Sacramento Valley, and the San Joaquin drains the south. And so it's one of those east to west flowing streams that hits the great central valley i just love that you give directions based on the rivers <laughs> rather than highways I, I think it says a lot about how the mines work <laughs> and if we were to uh, put a city map on top of it where are our landmarks in california uh, angels camp and highway 49 sonora are the towns on sort of both sides of the river downstream is Modesto. What were the trips like? So in 1970, river running was just becoming popular. Late 60s, people were wanting to get back to the land and get into the wild. And one of the things that Arta had was David Kay. And so David Kay was from Ohio, and he had the heart of a poet. And he started writing the brochures and his brochures evoked going to the silent. It wasn't, come to the whitewater thrill, which feels like a lot of companies do. Arda, because of, again, river running taking off, and because of David Kay being able to write brochures, it just <sighs> touched the magic of wild places to get to sit by the quiet river. The first place you really stopped was Rose Creek. And so here carved out of the bedrock was this little stream with pools and sliding rocks and, you know, jumping rocks. And so you were going down the river, but you were going down the canyon. You know, as, as guides, we were learning the geology and we were learning <clears throat> the critters and the plants and trying to, you know, learn more stars so we could share that. Those early trips were amazing at watching all of us getting deeper and deeper connected to the magic and the depth in the realms of this place. Did you see the experience it would create with your clients? I somehow always uh, remember standing at takeout one time and we just had this extraordinary trip and I remember watching this. He was a much older guy. He was in his late 20s, and he was a young, very successful doctor who lived in San Francisco. And I remember, without any words, I watched him hesitating, getting in his bright new red Porsche to go back to his mansion. And I could just feel that he knew all the money he had. He couldn't buy what we had. And we were living in a pair of cutoffs and tennis shoes, and barely needed that. And I could just feel he had just experienced something that he knew he couldn't buy. I got to experience living in a different paradigm, where we live in connecting with everyone in our boat. We get to help everyone push their skills, learning to connect with this magical place, connecting with the river, learning to dance with the flow, not struggling and fighting. And so to me, it opened up Again, doors of perception about holistically living in a different way. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Over It Wrapped Covers. Right now, my boats are inflated sitting on a trailer and they are covered with a raft cover from Over It Wrapped Covers. This is my first season using this cover and it is so much better than the ridiculous plastic tarps I used and destroyed for years. This Over It Wrapped Cover is perfectly shaped for my boat, it has slots for the oar towers, and it has solid D-rings sewn on to secure this to the trailer or to a raft. These covers are designed and sold by Kevin, a river runner who likes to keep his boat well protected and ready to go on the trailer. Use the promo code RIVERRADIUS for free shipping on your Over It Raft cover. That is RIVERRADIUS, one word, lowercase. Use the link in our show notes or our Instagram link tree to get right to Over It Raft covers. Today's episode is sponsored by Wholesome. Wholesome helps you pack food for your river trips. You start by framing your trip with the number of people, the dates of the trip, and the dietary needs. You can bring your own recipes or you can use one of the 1,000 plus river recipes from the best river outfitters. Wholesome instantaneously creates menus, shopping lists, and cooking instructions for you. This is done using their website and a phone app that makes shopping fast and organized. You can use a monthly or an annual subscription to serve one trip or several trips. This is an excellent tool for river outfitters and can be tailored for the individual. Wholesome provides videos guiding you through the process of how to use their platform. River Radius listeners can join at 20% off. Use the promo code RIVERRADIUS, all one word, that is RIVERRADIUS, and use the web link in our show notes to get right to Wholesome. So I get the impression that you knew what said to be lost. Would you introduce us to New Melones, the proposal and the different stages of the campaign? Yeah. And I'll just say that um, I never felt like I got to know the place. And every time I explored, I found new new dimensions of it, new places. And it was ever-changing, and there was, there was so much more to see in that little canyon that I never saw. So New Maloney's Dam was authorized before I was born, um, and it was uh, reauthorized when I was young into a huge mega dam. And so that first cave journey, hearing that they were going to build a dam and go, oh my gosh, that looks really beautiful, but I guess we need it. And so by the time when river winning was just beginning, the dam was further and further along with studies. And why were guides so invested? At the time was like, oh, this is the river we're going down. I mean, and the the dam wasn't that far along yet, so it was still sort of a out there idea, and uh, no one could really believe its reality. But uh, knowing that this place could be gone was slowly, you know, waking us up. A sidebar story of we were taking inner city kids down, and we're going hey, it looks like this dam's going to get built, so we should probably look for a new place. So we had a conversation, and we started going, well, the Tuolumne is a little too dangerous. We've only got these old donated basket boats, so uh, Tuolumne is not a very good place for a basket boat. And the South Fork, it's just too crowded. I mean, it's all privately owned, and Part of our trips is to get these kids to go exploring and sample the plants, sit at Native American sites, and you can't go hiking anywhere on the South Fork. And the North Coast rivers are beautiful, but they're way too far away. And so we had a very unfulfilling conversation. And little did I know that that left an indelible memory or mark on me that, oh, this is an extraordinary, unique place. What provoked you to believe or to know that you could make a difference? When you fall in love, you never know where it's going to take you. And uh, when you fall in love, it doesn't matter if you know you can make a difference or not. You don't have a choice. What has us falling in love? Well, what, what has us remembering <laughs> that... We live in this miracle, and how many people get the privilege of sleeping by the banks of the river, having its song flow through us? I'm moved when I hear Mark speak because I hear him put language to a sentiment that I've experienced through years of guiding, but I've never found the words for. 
a sentiment that comes with knowing a place, a sentiment that, in this case, grounded a decade-long river conservation movement. The decade-long battle to protect the Stanislaus came in waves. You'll hear about Proposition 17 to stop New Melones from being finished, acts of nonviolent direct action to prevent the reservoir from being filled, and ultimately a federal initiative to reshape how our country manages water. Our next guest brings us into the intricacies of that movement. He explains the contentions surrounding New Melona's dam and how river guides and river lovers fought that dam and then the reservoir every step of the way. Please welcome Kevin Wolf. My name is Kevin Wolf. I actually am the CEO of a company called Wind Harvest. I met the founder of that company on a trip with Mark Dubois in 1981, in which we were talking about nuclear power, etc., and lamenting that only you know, green energy was damming rivers. And he said, no, there's wind power. You can create electricity from wind turbines. And I love that idea. And I recently became the CEO. And we are about to bring the first wind turbine that can handle turbulent wind near the ground. And that is one of the ways that we're going to not need the electricity from dams. So that's what I do now. Gosh, I love what a small world it is that this story began with <laughs> a trip down the Stanislaus. That was a motivation. How do you solve it so you don't need to dam rivers for green energy? Mm. I have a deep love of rivers because I grew up in LA and the rivers down there were all cement lined. And I did not know what a river really looked like until I went to UC Davis and then learned about the river rafting program and became a guide my freshman year uh, with the Outdoor Adventures, and I have loved rivers ever since. Is there a experience on the river that just has always had a special place in your heart? The first year I got it there in 1978 as a professional, we camped uh, down about seven miles right above the South Fork, Stanislaus, at a place called Shark's Mouth. Guides would swim out across the river every morning, climb up. There was a rope up there to the top of Shark's Mouth and dive, you know, a good 10 to 15 meters into the river and swim back and start our breakfast. And that was one of the great rituals of being a, a guide on the river. And that place definitely has a special place in my heart. <laughs> Who needs caffeine when you have the, what did you call it? The shark's jaw? Shark's mouth. Shark's mouth. <laughs> Some people got a Jaws after that darn movie came out. <laughs> and where were you in your guiding career when you first heard about New Melones? Oh, gosh. So I had heard that there was a dam on the river when I was a student at UC Davis, and the river rafting companies needed guides. So a whole bunch of us from Outdoor Adventures UC Davis got hired by a company called Echo. And we um, started guiding that spring and, and then that summer as professional guides. And I um, got a chance to learn that this river actually had a dam on it. And the place we were rafting was going to be drowned. And that's why they were building these massive bridges, because the river was going to be hundreds and hundreds of feet below those bridges, because that's how high the reservoir would be. And it was quite disturbing and depressing to think about this river that I'd fallen in love with was going to be destroyed. And I ended up meeting a guy named Mark Dubois. They needed volunteers to take a whole bunch of newspaper reporters and people from the Jimmy Carter, President Carter's administration down. And the company uh, offered me a half day wage if I would volunteer my other half day to, to help out. So I did it. And But I sat around and listened to the people from Carter administration talk about the greatest threat to the future of humanity would be not nuclear war, which is kind of a stunning thing to say in 1990, you know, with Russia and the Cold War still going on, but it would be global warming. And that uh, was another depressing thing. But at the end, Mark got up before the 30 or 40 of us and said, people make a difference. And he started to leave off a, a whole bunch of examples of people who Without their efforts, rivers and streams would not be saved. Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh, wow, yeah, people do make a difference. But I knew enough about history to know that those people who made a difference in history were just normal people like me. They just had opportunities to make a difference. And so I told Mark at the end of that talk that I would start the Davis chapter of Friends of the River. 
And because I was the guide organizer at UC Davis Outdoor Adventures, I knew all the guides. So uh, that was my start. And we also learned how to write letters. So we were getting passengers to write letters. We gave our first talks on the river. And I remember, you know, slurring the Army Corps of Engineers with pretty foul language on my first talk. And I was pulled over by another guide saying, best not to, to go after the Army Corps of Engineers like that. <laughs> so uh, that summer of 1978 is when I started to learn about how to give river talks, what the dam was about, and that I as an individual could make a difference in saving that river. Let's talk a little bit about the New Melones Dam. What was the purpose that New Melones was seeking to fill? Water supply, flood control, hydroelectric power, and recreation on the reservoir. Because when they designed it back in the 1960s, there was no river recreation. So all these factors combined to make the New Melones one of the most massive dams ever built in the Western United States. An earth-filled, over 600 feet high, upside-down pyramid, you might think of it as. And so walk us through the arguments against the dam. People looked at what the real cost was that and then looked at floods and realizing that floods are going to be in direct dichotomy to water storage. So if you want to withstand the next five-year drought, you want to keep the reservoir as high as possible. But if the next year you've kept it as high as possible and the next year is a flood, now you don't have enough room for the flood waters and you'll have a downstream flood event. Uh, those two things were always in uh, juxtaposition to each other and they still are and they are getting worse with climate change. And what were some of the other reasons that so many people opposed New Melones? Well, I think the primary reason was the destruction of, of the river. People actually knew a place and fell in love with a place. That was the thing that motivates people to work and get involved. You know, it's like your home is being taken from you. And so you rise up and do something about it. And you also mentioned that some of the economics didn't necessarily make sense with the dam. That water has to be so subsidized for it to be able to be worthwhile to those farmers. That water, instead of selling for $7 an acre foot, it should be selling for $100 an acre foot. Where are you getting those numbers from? Uh, well, that was the code the contract signed for um, with the Oakdale Irrigation District and the South San Joaquin Irrigation District. And then this group of people did an economic analysis of the dam and looked at the long-term water supply provided. It was about less than 200,000 acre feet of net water per year was going to be available. And you take that 200,000 acre feet of net water per year and you multiply it by, you know, 50, 100 years. And then you take into account the cost to build the dam and the inflation and all the rest of the stuff. And you go, that price, that water should be 10 times what they're selling it for. In terms of dam completion, what was happening at each stage of the different propositions and initiatives? In 1974, the dam was partially finished. 1974 was the initiative on Prop 17 for wild and scenic status. By 78, when I got there, the dam was done. They had to build the bridges to replace the low bridges so that the cars could get over the reservoir. So they still had work to do before they could start filling. Let's set the stage for when you first became a guide organizer. Can you give us an overview of the timeline? In 1973, a bunch of river guides and others collected enough signatures to put a ballot measure on the statewide, California statewide ballot called Prop 17. It would make the Stanislaus a wild and scenic river. If it was a wild and scenic river, the dam would have to stop. Prop 17 was met with resistance. Californians Against Proposition 17 hired a pro-dam strategist named Milton Kramer to advertise against Prop 17. Advertisements emerged with the narrative that damming the river would help fish by providing more oxygen, and that building a dam would create a reservoir that would dilute agricultural runoff. In short, their message was, vote no on Prop 17 to save the river. The misleading campaign ultimately led Californians to mistakenly vote in favor of the dam and confirm the completion of New Malones. 
I am a 17-year-old in Southern California in 1974, and I remember reading about this proposition thinking, oh, I would definitely vote yes to save the river. And then the ads started coming to Southern California, giant billboards saying, no on 17, save our river. Television ads showing, you know, little old woman on the front of porch saying, if Prop 17 passes my land and this river will be destroyed. And I said, oh, I must have read the proposition wrong. It must be vote no on the dam. So I got everybody I knew of voting age to vote no on Prop 17, thinking that that would save the river. They so distorted the advertising that when they did a poll afterwards, the vast majority of us all in the state thought they were saving the river, but they voted on the wrong side. And so Prop 17 lost. So now it's like uh, hopeless. The dam is being built. But Friends of the River continues. Would you explain how Friends of the River fits in with this campaign, like what Friends of the River is and how it was started? Well, Friends of the River was Friends of the River, and the river was the Stanislaus. It was a statewide organization to save the Stanislaus River. But then as you know, the 1970s moved along, they started expanding their mission. They started helping other organizations like the Tuolumne River Trust get started. Um, because they knew they needed dedicated organizations to focus on the river, while Friends of the River worked on so many rivers in trouble all over the state. By the way, Friends of the River's 50th anniversary is going to be held at Camp Lotus on the South Fork of the American this September 30th, because it was in 1973, 50 years ago, that they started collecting signatures to put Prop 17 on the ballot. Wholesome is today's sponsor, and Wholesome helps you pack food for your river trips. I really enjoy having rad meals down by the river while traveling through river canyons, but I do not enjoy figuring out the meals before the trip. I get overwhelmed pretty quick with the recipes, the ingredients, the shopping, the not over-shopping. Using Wholesome, you set the number of people, the dates of your trip, and the dietary needs. You can bring your own recipes, or you use one of the 1,000-plus river recipes from the best outfitters. Wholesome instantaneously creates menus, shopping lists, and cooking instructions for you. This is done using their website and a phone app that makes shopping fast and organized. River Radius listeners can join at 20% off. Use the promo code RIVERRADIUS, all one word, that is RIVERRADIUS, and use the web link on our show notes to get right to Wholesome. Our sponsor today is over at Raft Covers. This Raft Cover is built with a heavy-duty woven poly fabric that is UV-stabilized and blocks 98% of UV light. This cover is breathable and does not flap around in the wind. It is water-permeable, so rain and snow does not puddle up on top of it, and it self-heals. If you poke a hole in it, the woven fabric can be massaged back to whole. I use this over at Raft Cover on my boats on my trailer right now, and I am so glad to have this product. Use the promo code RIVERRADIUS for free shipping on your over at Raft cover. That is RIVERRADIUS, one word, lowercase. Use the link in our show notes or our Instagram link tree to get right to over at Raft covers. Friends of the River headed off this, uh, this Prop 17 initiative to save the river, but with confusing advertising, uh, that ballot was lost. And so what happened next? So that was um, 74, November 74. There was a drought in 76 and 77. But in 78, they came up with a federal legislation. Jimmy Carter had won in 1976 over Gerald Ford. There was a strong backlash against Richard Nixon. And so there was a strong environmental support in, in D.C. And the feeling was that we could get a wild and scenic bill through the house and through the senate and jimmy carter would sign it prop 17 was california state wild and scenic river status but we could get federal wild and scenic status so that was what we were writing letters to through hearing mark talk about how people can make a difference you ended up getting involved with the campaign i volunteered to be the guide organizer because echo would go up to camp nine the night before we blow up our boats and almost all the other companies would come the next morning. We were completely rigged by the time the other companies were getting ready. So I would go over and talk to all the guides while they're rigging their boats. We had an ammo can 
in which the letter and the letter writing tablets and the pens and the envelopes fit perfectly. I'd bring a bunch of them down to the river and any guy company that had forgotten their letter writing can, they got one from me so that they could give the talks and get the letters written. Guides would have the people they're ready to write their letters and you would look up their uh, congressional member for them because the vast majority of them did not know who their congress member was. And they would write it, hand address the envelope right there, and the guide would put them into the, uh, into the box and say they'd be mailing them up for them. And I, there was a whole bunch of guides who would uh, need more letter writing equipment and need to know the updated news and pick up their, pa- their letters that they had written the day before. And, and so it was just a natural, easy thing for me to be the guide organizer up there. And what was the general reaction in talking to guides? You know, there was kind of a split between the the guides, those guides who just were so bummed about these massive, powerful organizations that were building a dam. It's not like you're trying to stop it before it starts being built. It's almost done. And the idea that you could stop a dam from destroying a river after the dam is almost completely done is a pretty hopeless thing for many people. But then there was enough of us who believe that, okay, we'll try. So that went on in 78 and 79 and into 80. And now 80 is our big year. We really uh, haven't passed the bill yet. We, I think we may have got it through the House, but not through the Senate. It did not get on Jimmy Carter's desk. It's a nationwide election, Ronald Reagan versus Jimmy Carter for the presidency. And then Jimmy Carter conceded early. Well, then people just stopped voting. And we ended up losing a lot of seats we would have otherwise won. So that was the end of the ability to get a bill through Congress with the loss of Jimmy Carter. We knew Ronald Reagan would never endorse a bill to stop a dam. A lot of organizing is about pivoting. How did you change the direction of your campaigning after that? 808, Parrots Ferry. So our takeout was at Parrots Ferry, and that was the compromise. You can keep that reservoir and meet the water supply needs and re- meet the hydroelectric power needs and the flood control needs, and you can keep the reservoir below level elevation 808. Tim Palmer wrote the only book, to my knowledge, on the effort to protect the Stanislaus. Written in 1982, Stanislaus, The Struggle for a River is a detailed account of the creation of New Malona's Dam and the resistance that met each step of planning, building, and filling it. I moved to share Tim Palmer's words to transport us into specific moments following 1978. On May 17th, Mark Dubois sent a letter to the district engineer of the Corps, a man directly responsible for New Malones. The following is a section of that letter. The life of the 9 million year old Stanislaus Canyon is far more significant than my short tenure on this planet. While I and many other folk have spent the last decade working to correct the mistake made by Congress years ago, our effort has been thus far to no avail. Upon learning of your intention to flood the canyon above Parrot's Ferry this year, I did some serious thinking. While you've given vague promises not to flood the canyon too far above elevation 808, your staff has been unable to identify that location on the river. Knowing the annual snowmelt is about to flood the canyon and there's not much space in the reservoir to absorb that water without going above Parrot's Ferry, and direct experience with your overriding attention to the construction schedules to the detriment of the priceless resources behind the dam. I plan to have my feet permanently anchored to a rock in the canyon at the elevation of Parrot's Ferry the day the water reaches that elevation. I urge you to do all in your power to prevent the flooding of the canyon above Parrot's Ferry. Sincerely for the river, Marc Dubois. On Sunday night, Briggs drove the FOR leader and a small supply of fruit and nuts to Parrot's Ferry. In the darkness, Dubois began a lonely walk into the lower canyon. He knew this could end his life. Even if the Corps wanted to dump water to the lower reservoir, they might not be able to in time. Something could always go wrong. New Malones was just being tested. The Corps warned that surges of up to eight feet in height were beyond control. Briggs, on driving out, stopped at a high switchback on the road above, got out of his car, and shouted in a booming voice that shouted the night, Parrot's Ferry is the limit! Dubois smiled to himself. These were the last words he might ever hear. 
end quote. So at this point, Mark is chained in a secret location at a specified elevation of 808. The public, the media, the politicians begin to question whether or not he's actually there. A good friend of Mark's, Alexander Gagin, realizes that the narrative shouldn't just be about one man standing up for a river. He initiates a second group of people to chain themselves at the water's edge, but this time in public, to represent that this is a river for the people, and in order to give the activists in the river a voice. Tim Palmer welcomes us inside the minds of these activists by writing the following passages. Picture yourself for a moment on a slope of sand, five feet wide, 12 feet long, studded with sharp rocks, partially shaded by scruffy willows, fringed with poison oak. The river streams by, lapping at the big boulder at your feet. A chain is fastened around your ankle by a padlock. You can move maybe 10 feet but that depends on the person next to you moving part of the distance because you are shackled together. You can't get up and leave. You can't walk. Privacy is only inside your head. What about the calls of nature? You know, that's the first thing people would ask, Lynch says. You go behind the boulder where two chained friends hold a poncho as an outhouse wall, and you use an army ammo can, the kind used on commercial river trips. At any time, you could be busted by a sheriff's deputy with a hacksaw. You never know what the water will do. You listen for its rise through the night. It got spooky that night as the chained people sat at the edge, picturing all those miles of the North Fork, Middle Fork, and South Fork above, each fed by a snowpack that was melting by the yard in 80-degree heat. Here they were, on that critical edge, chained by the boundary of a flood being dumped from above and impounded from below. The lowest of the group had to put their feet up on rocks to keep them from being soaked, Later, four river guides arrived with a pile of old boards from a scrapped lumber pile at Arda. Everyone move up as far as you can. We're building you a platform to keep you out of the water, they announced. Once the platform was built, Guard Dubois, Mark's soft-spoken younger brother, asked for people to listen. They stood still around the chained group. In the dark, you could see only the silhouettes of a dozen visitors. Gar read a letter taken down in longhand over the phone from the governor's office asking the Corps to stop filling at 808. The chief threat to the 808 limit had been the chance of high runoff that the Corps would have to hold above Parrot's Ferry to avoid flooding farmers' fields below. The state's new proposition included California officials and decisions to determine if flooding was occurring. The last paragraph warned that California would sue the Corps if they didn't meet the 808 request. Jerry Merrill had written the first draft of the letter. Gar folded the letter, snapped off the flashlight, and faced the silhouettes. That's about as strong as it's going to get, he concluded. And it seemed clear that Mark was coming out. Maybe he was already out. End quote. It should be noted that Jerry Merrill was one of the first to paddle the Stanislaus River and blew the whistle on New Melanes Dam. Well, Mark chained himself in the canyon in 79 when the Army Corps is trying to raise the reservoir as fast as they can so they can kill the effort to save the river. And that stopped at that summer. Um, 1980 was a drought year, which was good because it stopped the um, raising of the reservoir that year. Um, and then 1981, the disabled community, um, led by people like Rick Spittler and others, went and chained themselves in the lower canyon in the, the, when it started to rain in the winter of 1981. And the water districts knew that they would kill these disabled people if they raised the reservoir and they could not find them. So they found a way to take the water off of the New Malonis Dam and put it in Woodward and other side reservoirs. And they kept the reservoir low uh, during that, it was almost a month that those incredibly brave, tough people stayed out there hiding out there in the reservoir's edge um, to prevent that reservoir from uh, rising. So now we had another year. There's a nuance. I'd love to circle back to uh, the nonviolent direct action. You mentioned that Mark chained himself and later people with disabilities also chained themselves. What were they fighting for? They were fighting to stop the reservoir from rising. Because if they are chained to the reservoir side and they're a foot or so above the reservoir, the reservoir can rise a foot to two feet a day. So they would drown. So they basically were saying, 
I'm going to put my life on the line. You want to kill me, keep raising the reservoir. Or find me and stop me. And the reservoir operators were actually violating the law. They were not supposed to be raising the reservoir because they didn't have a variety of things done. They didn't have the archaeological studies done. They hadn't completed these various things. So it did help to have a nonviolent civil disobedience like that in the face of their lawlessness of them raising the reservoir when they didn't have the legal right to. What was the significance of those who chained themselves in a secret location? I mean, when Mark was chained, my gosh, there there was a lot of people for the dam who were out looking for him. Police and the sheriffs, and they were uh, patrolling the sides of the reservoir, you know, trying to find him so they could arrest him so they could fill the reservoir. When I first heard the story of the Stanislaus and Mark's act of civil disobedience, I was at guide school. I hadn't developed a relationship to Rivers yet. And I remember thinking, there must be something about guiding that allows us to understand something so sacred that we would be willing to put our lives at risk for it. Oh, yeah. I can talk about that all day. I would be curious to hear your thoughts. I'm a student at UC Davis. I'm a freshman. There's a sign that says, raft the Yuba River $10. I don't know anything about rafting. I pay my $10 and off I go in a Suburban. And in the front seat are uh, a two guy, male guides and a woman guide who hadn't known each other. And they tell stories the entire way up and the entire way down. These places have names. The rocks have names. Shark's Mouth, all the rapids, the caves on the side of the rapids, the steam donkey, all the places along the river had names. And when you name a place, you kind of know it. And you share that knowledge with other people who also name know that name of a place. And that is one of the things that river guides have. They know the places they name them. And so what happened next? In 1981, in that, that winter, Mark Dubois and Melinda Wright and I knew, okay, we got Ronald Reagan as president. We don't have any um, ability to um, get a bill through Congress. And everybody pretty much had given up. But Mark and Lemon and I decided that we would run a nether ballot measure that would stop the filling of the reservoir until contracts had been signed that paid for the cost of building the dam. We knew that the uh, Californians Against Waste and the Mona Lake Committee had done raffles for a dollar a ticket and raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. So we thought, well, shoot, we can do that. We can do $2 a ticket and we can get the river guides to sell the tickets. We had all these prizes for the people who sold the most tickets as well as for the people who won the raffles. So the guides that summer went nuts all over the state from the Kern to the Tuolumne up to the American. People like uh, Paul Vanderheiden, I don't know, I think he sold $20,000 worth of tickets. <laughs> oh my God. These are days before guides got tips. Passengers really loved the guides. So when the guides said, write a letter, they would write a letter. And when the guides said, hey, buy these raffle tickets, they would buy the raffle ticket. We started raising so much money that the Sierra Club and NRDC and EDF and a bunch of the other organizations said, you've got the money and you've got the troops. It should not just be to save the Stanislaus. You should take this opportunity to change California water law groundwater rights, in-stream water rights, and enforce water conservation and efficiency. That summer um, of 1981, the top water experts in California drafted out the language of the initiative, and the Stanislaus became only one part. We had enough money that we knew we could put it on the ballot, and we had all these river guides who were willing to spend their winter collecting signatures. But in January of that year, of 1982, in the middle of signature gathering, the floods came. New Melones Dam operators took the opportunity to shut off the water completely so that New Melones had no water coming out of it. And the reservoir rapidly rose up and flooded out the entire Camp 9 section that winter of 1982, right in the middle of signature gathering. And if we hadn't had the other sections on water efficiency and in-stream water rights, I don't think the guides would have had the heart 
and the, the all the people collecting signatures to keep collecting signatures. And the slogan that winter was, remember the Stanislaus. And they collected uh, the signatures and we got it on the ballot. That spring was the uh, Peripheral Canal referendum. Signature gatherers, volunteers, they collected enough signatures to referend the attempt to build a peripheral canal that would take Northern California water to the South. And that spring, the state of California rose up and voted no against the peripheral canal. And now our initiative is on the November 1982 ballot. And we spend the summer raising money on another raffle. My main focus is organizing the boating and guide community to raise as much money and as much awareness as possible going into the November election. No Stanislaus to raft on, but there are a lot of other rivers and a lot of other Stanislaus River guides on those other rivers who wanted to do something to help pass that uh, water conservation and efficiency initiative. When activists disbanded and moved to other rivers all over California, if not the United States, if not the world, do you know any of the methodologies that were continued? With the fight on the Stanislaus, a lot of guides understood the economics of dams. They're all subsidized. It was kind of a whole new way of fighting against the dams. One, we knew how to organize guides um, and the river community. And two, we knew how to bring information to legislators and other decision makers that made strong arguments. If you were to give like a one, two, three step instruction of what to do, how to save a river, what advice would you give? First, fall in love with it. Get to know its names. Second, make sure you share it with lots of other people so that you form a community who love a place and want to save a place. And then organize yourself into an organization and learn how to run effective meetings, how to do strategic planning, plan out how to get FERC relicensing to do it and how to get dam seismic safety changes issues and how to go after salmon and wild and, uh, you know, endangered species laws. Learn the tools, be strategic, figure it out. I have heard the saying that the Stanislaus was the last river lost. What were some of the other rivers that benefited from all of these activists going elsewhere? We won. We won on the Merced, the Kings, the Kern. We got the Three Rivers campaign. They all got protected. We stopped the dams and we got wild and scenic for the Tuolumne. And then we stopped Auburn Dam on the North Fork of the American and the dams on the South Fork. And then it kind of petered out. There wasn't the threat to these places that these river guides loved. And without a threat, it's hard to organize. And you wanted to talk about the momentum that's been building currently around the Stanislaus. So we formed a little organization, a number of us who were way back there in the, the 1970s and 19, early 1980s on the Stanislaus and realizing, you know, there's no time like the present to start working towards taking that dam down. We're really thinking only half the dam. You start by, you know, what do you need? Do you need to get the downstream to handle 20,000 CFS floods and not 8,000 CFS floods, which is presently the limit that comes out of New Malonis Dam? So if you're going to get those kinds of floods now, let's redesign that flood corridor to handle 20 to 30,000 CFS floods. So when that dam comes down, it returns much more to a natural river. And then what we need to do is figure out how to replace the hydroelectric power. Oh, we can do that with wind turbines and solar in the state of California. So we don't need the extra hydroelectric power. If we start figuring out how to replace the needs for the water supply and the flood control and et cetera, then we have less opposition when we finally have the capacity to take half that dam down. It also makes you wonder, is it truly lost? Like, can you bring a river back? Oh, sure. There's a great documentary on the Yurok and Karuk tribal people on the Klamath preparing to restore 390 miles of streams and rivers that are freed up and returned back to steelhead and salmon spawning with the removal of the four dams that are underway on the Klamath and how to reseed the tens of thousands of acres of land that will be now re-exposed because it's no longer under reservoirs. So yes, you can certainly restore it. Now you may have a bathtub ring for a few hundred years, 
but he, even that, you know, eventually goes away, I think. Kevin, thank you so much for walking us through the incredible efforts that it took to understand a place, understand a methodology of protecting rivers. I really appreciate all the work that you've done. Thank you. Good. Well, I, I'm hoping that we inspire uh, other people to say, okay, I'll restore this river. Yeah. Well, with those three steps, <laughs> we've got a roadmap. Yeah, that's pretty straightforward. A letter writing kit size thank you goes out to the Stanislaus River. Rose Creek, Shark's Mouth, the Fig Tree, and all the magic the Stanislaus River Canyon contained. Thank you, Mark Dubois and Kevin Wolf, for reliving your bittersweet experiences in order to share them with us. And thank you, Tim Palmer, for capturing lived moments of time in your book, Stanislaus, The Struggle for a River. If you're interested in learning more, check out the companion episode on how lessons learned on the Stanislaus manifested into methodologies of river conservation used on the American today. Additionally, you can find more resources in our show notes and on our social media page. I'm Samara Rosen. Thank you for listening to the River Radius podcast. Samara Rosen is our contributing host today. You can find links in our show notes directly to all guests and organizations and to other relevant content for this story. Today's sponsors are Wholesome and Over It Raft Covers. Use the promo code RIVERRADIUS to gain 20% off with Wholesome and free shipping with Over It Raft Covers. There are links for Over It Raft Covers and Wholesome in the show notes. All River Radius social media is arranged by Samantha Sice. Our music is composed and performed by Gene Reiniger. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius. The first impression was, "Why these are hot, dry foothills. And I had been used to camping in the high, higher elevations. So it was like, oh my gosh, well, good thing there's caves here because this is hot and dry. And I remember, you know, slurring the Army Corps of Engineers with pretty foul language on my first talk. And I was pulled over by another guide saying, best not to, to go after the Army Corps of Engineers like that. <laughs> if we had a spare oar, you were lucky to have oars of the same length. And you were lucky if you didn't have to patch one of the boats because, you know, they were using all this old surplus stuff and it was in pretty bad shape. And, and so, uh, you know, you were lucky if you had a throw line.